Your need to know cultural snapshot of Wisconsin and beyond. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. A deep dive into all things intriguing, riveting, and entertaining. And now your host, here's Sandy Max. Good afternoon and welcome to this brand new show where you'll hear and experience culture and creativity here in Wisconsin and around the world. I'm your host, Sandy Max, and in this hour, you'll hear what's going on at the Holiday Folk Fair International today at the Wisconsin State Fair Park Expo Center. Learn more about the unique history of Milwaukee's Soldier's Home and enjoy the Beatles now and then, including a visit to Strawberry Field in Liverpool. First, despite living in Wisconsin a long time, I didn't grow up here, so I didn't experience a tradition that a lot of people are doing this weekend. Gun deer season. It is part of our state's culture for sure. And here is WTMJ's Adam Roberts with his experience growing up with this tradition in his family. It's November 2007. In the still of a 20-degree Marinette County morning, the Roberts clan heads out to the wilderness to embark on another gun deer hunt. As I clutch my trembling hands around a 30-30 Winchester, I'm starting to regret committing to sitting alone in a flimsy metal tree stand while the wind whips around my exposed nose. But just as my patience reaches its limit, a sound not unlike a pair of horses galloping through the dirt starts to ramp up. I almost can't believe my ears, but sure enough, as I turn slowly to look over my shoulder, there stands a pair of white-tailed deer. It all happens so fast. I look at them. They look at me. They suddenly bolt off. I swing the gun around, click off the safety, heart pumping, body twitching. My finger wraps around the trigger and... Two shots, two misses. I can't begin to tell you how frustrated I was and honestly embarrassed at those misses, but in that moment I was hooked and knew I wanted to keep trying. Though if you ask my dad, he never had a doubt I'd be part of the hunt. You were kind of a natural at it. You were very good at being able to, you know, withstand the duration of the day being out there and that was nice because you never know. I mean, some people try it and they just can't do it. When it comes to the gun deer season, a lot of the conversation is about how the hunt ain't what it used to be. Whether it's declining license numbers or old friends moving away, change is inevitable. But according to my dad, it's important to embrace that change. You know, with traditions, we like to think, well, traditions don't change. But in in fact, traditions do change. It's just, you know, you have to, to keep a tradition alive. You have to roll with the changes. You know, as you and, and our other children, you know, started moving away and, you know, starting lives in different areas, you know, traditions didn't go away, they just changed, but we try to keep them alive. For me specifically, the thing I remember most about hunting is not getting a deer or not, but an introduction that's followed me my entire life since. I think it was on one of those drives, if my memory's right, I think you had the Rush Greatest Hits CD. And that was one of the first times I had ever heard songs like Spirit of Radio, Limelight. One of those rides up to Marinette County sparked my initial interest in the band that became my favorite of all time. You think that song, Spirit of Radio, what a way to just get the energy flowing and get pumped up for something. Those two weeks before you're going up north, you're 
you're thinking about it, you're, you're waiting for it, probably like a child waiting for Christmas. So whether it's your first or 30th time driving down the fire lane to deer camp, embrace the changing traditions, savor the moments, and if you get the 30-point buck, that's just the cherry on top. Adam Roberts, WTMJ News. Culture in Wisconsin and around the world. Those are the stories we highlight on WTMJ's What's on Tap show. The annual Holiday Folk Fair International is where you could spend this afternoon enjoying cultures and cuisine from around the world. Have you been yet? I'm Sandy Max. I'll tell you where you can do that next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. What's on Tap with Sandy Max is back on WTMJ. Thank you for tuning in to this new show, What's on Tap on WTMJ, where you get to experience culture and creativity from Wisconsin and around the world. I'm Sandy Max, and this weekend, the annual Holiday Folk Fair International takes over the Wisconsin State Fair Park Expo Center. Food, festivities from heritage from all over the globe. And this event is produced by the International Institute of Wisconsin and CEO Dr. Paul Trabion. Join me in the WTMJ studio, Dr. Trabion. The 2023 theme is Celebrate the Culture of Traditional Dress. I see that you are in the spirit. Describe what you're wearing. This traditional dress that I have on is regalia from Native uh, Alaskan Tlingit tribe by Juneau, Alaska. And it has a headdress with a shark emblem on it. And then I have an eagle on the back and an eagle feather and an eagle they call a bib. And it's about showing off that I'm part of the Eagle House shark clan. And it's about all about remembering your mother. Ah, everything's very symbolic mm-hmm. and very individual. And you've got white buttons that are studded all around the black cloth. This is wonderful. Who makes these garments? Well, it's made by your family. Okay. And it represents the matrilineal line. So I follow the line of my mother, and she's Shark Clan, and she's Eagle House. And Eagle's Mary Ravens. And uh, that whole thing is about balance and remembering your elders. These symbols sometimes will give you pause for thought and stories so that you could actually share the values the customs, and also lessons. So that's what the the traditional dress is about for me. So it's very near and dear to my heart that we have the culture and celebration of traditional dress this year. Well, it's interesting to think of costumes as yet another way to tell stories. And storytelling is how we learn, it's how we share, it's how we connect. So just to even think that a simple piece of cloth and how you wear it already tells so much about you and makes other people curious to learn more. That is what's really neat about it. When somebody comes to me and says, oh, I really like that headdress, and then when they're noticing the headdress, that actually, in my culture, is a way to honor my mother. So when people notice and take pause, I thank them. I say, that's our biggest clinket word. It means thank you. And it sounds lovely. And this is just one of the cultures that you can experience at the 80th annual, what a tradition, 80th annual Holiday Folk Fair International. It's a way for us to actually celebrate culture, heritage, traditions, learn about each other, find out our differences, celebrate our differences, celebrate our similarities. What I really think is cool is that spreads into not only traditional dress, 
but in music and dancing. In the studio with me is Dr. Paul Trebion, president and CEO of the International Institute of Wisconsin, who produced the Holiday Folk Fair. And let's tempt people's taste buds. What is one of the first things that you have to sample when you go? Well, any of the pastries. I oh, there that. you go. We've got to have those. One of the years, I remember we had uh, bread as a theme for the food. Because everybody breaks bread in all their different cultures. Yes, and just the artistry of putting the bread together, the sampling it, and then uh, the aroma. It was just That's what I was just going to say. I know it smells good at Holiday Folk Fair International. As soon as you walk into the Wisconsin State Fair Park, that expo center, even though it's big, you're going to get a lot of different flavors and scents wafting at you to tempt you. And what's also neat is as you look at the desserts and you look at the foods, sometimes they have special names and they have uh, language. And I saw some of the booths in past iterations uh, where you could come up to the booth and they would actually start to offer to teach you a little bit of language. For example, take a look at my traditional dress and then would say, oh, I recognize that. That looks like a bird. And then I would say, that is a bird. It's uh, an eagle and it's pronounced chalk. And then when you see the headdress, you see it, it looks like a fish. Yes, it is. It's a shark and that's wushkitan. And then pause and they would, their eyes would light up and then you say, do you want to hear a traditional greeting? And they go, yes. Let's start with my word that I've been taught is the most widely used word, the most famous word, I guess you say the most important word in Clinket, which is thank you, which is gunachish. So I slowed it down so you could hear it a little bit. But you say gunachish. And uh, so uh, we don't have any phrase for no thank you because we all work together. So if I catch two fish and I only need one, I take the next fish and I give it to you. And then you can't say no thank you. Take it and say and then you take it, and if you don't need it, you give it something else. You pay else. forward, yes. And so all these values, the language, the, the dress, and uh, the food, all go into showing how we all work together. And I, that's what I really think is good. It's the, the mission of, of Holiday Folk Fair and the mission of International Institute of Wisconsin is to bring that uh, Education. Thank you to the International Institute of Wisconsin President and CEO, Dr. Paul Trebion, for sharing his Native American culture with us. You can experience flavors, traditions, and entertainment from around the world in a fun way today until 6 at the Holiday Folk Fair International at the Wisconsin State Fair Park Exposition Center. You can learn about a Wisconsin landmark that you may be driving by almost every day and not realize its special significance. Next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. You're listening to What's on Tap with Sandy Max on WTMJ. Everyday Milwaukeeans should care about this place simply because the person next to you could be a veteran. The person next to you could be in need of something that you're unaware of. And I think as veterans sit up in the big, I call them the turret rooms, but the beautifully beautiful floor-to-ceiling glass, reflective rooms that look out at the baseball park. They're looking toward the baseball park and the baseball park's looking in. And I think for me, it's that reminder of we all live together and we all exist together and we all deserve a home. If we didn't have Old Main, this city, this country would be diminished. First of all, the city would lose an important part of its history. This country would also have broken a promise that it made 
to veterans. That's a quote from A Hallowed Home for Heroes, a brand new documentary created by Milwaukee PBS producers Marianne Lazarski and Scotty Lee Myers. I'm Sandy Max, and Marianne Lazarski is my guest on What's on Tap. Veterans Day, just last weekend, and still a good time to learn this history that is particularly unique to our city. A story that goes back to the 1800s through today. In 2023, the Milwaukee Soldiers' Home is in use for veterans to live there and continues to be restored. Marianne, what is one of the most interesting revelations that you had in producing this documentary? Well, one of the things that, uh, as producers, that we were fascinated with was the fact that the Milwaukee Soldiers' Home actually started with a group of women. There were a group of women who were basically taking care of soldiers from the Civil War who were coming home wounded, and they did it out of storefronts, uh, down what was down, now downtown. Yeah. Uh, and they always talked about trying to have a permanent home for these soldiers. And so in the documentary, you'll hear about these group of women and how they raised... A ton of money. A ton uh, of money. What would have been $2 million in 2023 right. by throwing... A fair. Yeah. Right? This was an unexpected turn. I did not expect to learn that there was almost a month-long fair Yeah, it, it was in downtown amazing. Milwaukee in the 1800s. And, and, you know, the things that they were able to organize and people donated and they had exotic flowers and plants and exhibits and all sorts of things. And a main uh, attraction of Old Abe? Old Abe, the, 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 yes. The, the, bald, the bald eagle. Uh, <laughs> who would sign autographs. I won't give it all away. Uh, yeah, but, yeah just, you'll have to watch but the documentary. Fascinating. But fascinating. Like, fundraisers and 5Ks are just part of our culture now. Yeah. But for these, this small group of women to get together and put on a huge event in the city that was going to run, what, 10 days? Right. And then wound up running almost a month. Right. And raised... And people came from all over you know, across the state. And you unearthed a great letter from somebody. Oh, yes. A a young woman from Opon who describes what it was like to go to the to the fair. And so we had a reenactor. She did a great job of, you know, helping to tell that story. So to know that these women cared so much to make this home happen, that they went to this extent to create this fundraiser because they cared about these veterans fresh off you know they they were relentless and you know they weren't back you know you might think of them as oh you know they were socialites i mean their husbands were businessmen wealthy wealthy businessmen in town but you know they didn't they took charge they were not you know oh we'll let our husbands in fact when they raised that money the husbands kind of touted that money in washington dc to say um, because this was a time when President Lincoln had signed some legislation to say, let's build a national system. Well, these women were way ahead of the uh, right of, yeah. uh, of President Lincoln even. But, you know, they took this money and said, hey, I think the first one should be, you know, we should build one in Milwaukee. Wisconsin and the women, women didn't they didn't done. want to let go of that money. They thought, oh, because they. They were looking at this as a place for Wisconsin soldiers, but it ended up being, yes, for Wisconsin soldiers, but also for uh, soldiers from across uh, the nation. So it all worked out in the end, but uh, these were feisty women, and, uh, you know, they got it done. I love it. I love love it, too.
It's inspiring still today. Sure. Marianne, I want to ask you about the preservation process and also about the veterans who live at the Milwaukee Soldiers Home now. Before we pick up this conversation, let's tell you how you can watch this new Milwaukee PBS documentary, A Hallowed Home for Heroes. You can see it tomorrow night at 9 on Milwaukee PBS Channel 10. You can also stream the documentary right now on MilwaukeePBS.org. Learn more from behind the scenes next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. This is What's on Tap with Sandy Max. This is an important part of our history. If people walk through here, I can't imagine them not being moved by, by the background of our country and the service that people have given. It's a national treasure. Wisconsin veterans went through these buildings. They lived in these buildings. They died here. You know, we have to preserve that honor that, and, and we have to feel privileged to have it. Otherwise, what, uh, what kind of Americans are we? A powerful set of quotes from the new Milwaukee PBS documentary, A Hallowed Home for Heroes, which will be broadcast tomorrow night on Milwaukee PBS Channel 10 at 9 p.m., also streaming right now on MilwaukeePBS.org. I'm Sandy Max, joined by Milwaukee PBS series and documentary producer Marianne Lazarski, who collaborated with Milwaukee PBS multimedia producer Scotty Lee Myers to create this documentary about the uniquely Milwaukee landmark. You've certainly seen, if you've ever been to a Milwaukee Brewers baseball game, that Victorian-style building with the tower on the hill is known as Old Main, and that is part of the Milwaukee Soldiers' Home, a stately presence neighboring American Family Field and visible from I-94. Marianne, you've shared with us the process of making a documentary and some other interesting facts. So we know about the women getting it done. What are some other really important nuggets that you share in this new documentary? Well, you'll find out about the first phase of restoration, which took place from 2019 to 2021. Well, well, hold on. Why did it need to be restored? Oh, well, it was shut down. Old Main, we're talking about Old Main, which is the main structure. But there are several buildings on the grounds that's considered Milwaukee Soldiers Home. But Old Main is the main residence, all right? Not the same thing as the tower. No, that's the tower. That is Old Main. So Old Main Mm -hmm. is that building tower. There came a time when the federal government just didn't have the funds to do any sort of renovation or keep it going, but they knew that it was so historic that they couldn't just tear it down. So what happened was they closed the doors and it sat vacant for almost 30 years. And so you'll see the images, and I I have to give credit to Lee Matz from Milwaukee Independent, who took some wonderful photographs that he allowed us to use of the decay. And when you see that, and then you see the transformation, it's amazing. I wanted to chat with you about some of the residents there now that you feature in the documentary, but I also want to really point out that historic preservation takes real dedication. Of course, it takes money, we were just talking about, but it takes people who really, really recognize the significance of preserving this history and the value of it, because getting historic designations for landmarks and preservation, that process alone isn't easy. Absolutely, and the Milwaukee Preservation Alliance had a huge hand in all of this. The project manager that I mentioned, Jonathan Beck, is very passionate, uh, and you hear him explain why this project is so important to him and special. 
I mean, you know, it's a piece of art. There's, really yes, is. there's a lot involved in historic preservation. And, you know, I hate to use an old cliche about a labor of love, but you really got to be dedicated. And they are. And so we're... Well, I would think anytime your dedication might waver, you remember who you're doing it for. Right. And who are these residents? We had the, the honor uh, and, and the, the fortune to talk with some of these residents who, you know, you, you say to these uh, veterans, we want you to talk about your life and why you're here. And, you know, Old Maine is primarily for veterans at risk for homelessness. And so you're asking people to put their lives out there, you know, on camera. It's not easy. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we treated their stories delicately and honestly and accurately and and in a good light. They help tell the story. And when you hear their stories, you you I don't know how you can't be touched by it. Is there a veteran resident whose story really resonated with you? One gentleman who who talks about and this is where the, the title comes from. He says, you know, he can't believe that he's living in in this hallowed building. And so that kind of got us thinking about a title for the documentary. And it is. It's hallowed ground. And it's something very, very special to Milwaukee. This is one of three. Yes, one of three original soldiers homes. There are other soldiers homes throughout the country, but it's one of three original. So the other two are in Togus, Maine and Dayton, Ohio. Again, Milwaukeeans maybe don't understand how important this is, not only to the veterans, but to our community. And when you watch the documentary, you'll find out how important it was to the growth of Milwaukee as a city. Marianne Lazarski of Milwaukee PBS, thank you very much for spending time with me on What's on Tap and for your great work to communicate this unique history in an entertainingly informative way in your new documentary. What a wonderful way to put in perspective Milwaukee and Wisconsin's place in national history and share this knowledge in a visual way on TV and online. Thank you. You can watch A Hallowed Home for Heroes tomorrow night on TV at 9 on Milwaukee PBS Channel 10. You can also stream it online right now at the website milwaukeepbs.org. Beatles fans, come with me to Liverpool next and step inside Strawberry Field, the actual location that inspired the famous Beatles song Strawberry Fields Forever, plus the newest Beatles song next on What's on Tap on WTMJ. Welcome back to What's on Tap on WTMJ. What's on Tap, a new show here on WTMJ where you get to experience culture and creativity here in Wisconsin and around the world. I am your host, Sandy Max. After being in the Fab Four's hometown of Liverpool, England, with a very fun group of WTMJ listeners with Steve Bertrand Travel, total Beatles fans, one of our must-see stops in Liverpool had to be to go to Strawberry Field. It's the place near where John Lennon grew up. And John Lennon, in his childhood... He would just jump the fence and go play with the kids who live there. And it was a beautiful, sunny October morning when I arrived at the Red Iron Gates at the entrance. And there's uh, concrete posts on each side just graffitied up. Names and names and names of Beatle fans who've left their mark. And you stroll right into the garden area where the kids who lived at the Salvation Army Children's Home used to used to play there. So come with me now to Strawberry Field in Liverpool. And please meet our delightful tour guide. Uh, I'm Sue Harvey. I'm the commercial manager for Strawberry Field in Liverpool. We're going to stroll down to one of the gates. These were the original 
original gates that would have been open at the front of the building when the, when the children's home was here. And it's worth mentioning that the gates were never closed. The gates were always open. So where now the gates are closed at the front of the building, this place was a home, a children's home. So the kids that were here could come and go as they pleased. They are iconic to a lot of people. They're profound. Well, my first job here, when I joined Strawberry Field, back in February 2019, so nearly five years here, was to move the iconic red gates. They were in the Beatles story, raising money for the build of this amazing place that we now have. My first job was to move them. When the gates were originally moved from Strawberry Field, because they were stolen years ago, and so the Salvation Army obviously knew how much those gates were worth, not only to in monetary value, but in their history. They moved them to a home down in the south of England and literally wrapped them in a duvet cover. <laughs> um, and then when I moved did, them, they, did they wrap them in the duvet cover yeah. to protect them or just to yeah. kind of like camouflage them? <laughs> to hide them, I think. No, to protect them. So my first job was to get them moved out of the Beatles story, which we did very successfully. So we had cranes... Because the Beatles story is, is kind of underground. Okay. So they had to be moved out of the building and then craned out of the building. So it was a really big job. Did people steal them because they were part of Beatles lore or did people steal them because, oh, we can melt down the iron? There was a point when these were stolen that things were being taken to melt down, to weigh in. Um, and that's, that's what happened. But then when they got to the people who'd... who'd taken them off the people who'd stolen them, they realised what they were and returned them to the Salvation Army, which is fantastic. It, it kind of um, renews your faith in humankind. It does. It's good to have a conscience and do the right thing. And that is Sue Harvey. She's the commercial manager of Liverpool Strawberry Field, a kind soul and a huge Beatles fan herself. And at Strawberry Field, you hear talking about that. The attraction reopened in 2019. It was closed for a while and now includes... The garden and a very unique outdoor performance stage. It's shaped like a big snare drum with a strawberry field mural painted on the back wall. And the stage itself is painted to look like the mosaic tribute in New York's Central Park with the big mosaic spelling out the word imagine. And speaking of the song imagine inside the thoroughly engaging and interactive exhibition, the actual piano that John Lennon wrote the song imagine it's there. And it is just fascinating to stand and just kind of imagine all the music that was experimented and channeled right there on that piano. And it's covered in plexiglass, and there are also bits of paper that you can write thoughts and hopes and dreams and messages. And so it's, it's, it's a really, really lovely space to be in. And I asked Sue, what is something that surprises people who visit the Beatles landmark? They're amazed that they can actually come beyond the gates now. So the fact that the gates were closed for so long after the children's home closed and really even before then you couldn't you couldn't come beyond the gates. I mean John John shouldn't have come beyond the gates. He was jumping over the wall to play in the gardens. The fact that people could actually walk beyond the gates and have that connection with Strawberry Field and their connection their personal connection with John and the Beatles and the song was quite an emotional thing for a lot of people.
But Strawberry Field, it is a meditative, beautiful place. It's not a tacky carnival atmosphere at all. It is a very sweet, serene space. And in addition to the exhibition and garden, Salvation Army also provides employment training to young people with learning difficulties. So it really is continuing to make a positive difference in the Liverpool community. I could have spent all day roaming the garden and checking out every inch of the exhibition at Strawberry Field. And I do want to go back. I'll post video and photos of Strawberry Field on WTMJ.com in the next couple of days so you can see for yourself this very special place. And a big, big, big thanks to Sue Harvey of Strawberry Field for inviting me on that intimate tour and for her just excellent hospitality. I felt so welcome. The Beatles have been in the news recently, mostly because they released their new and supposedly last song ever. You heard correctly. Hear that song and how it was made next on WTMJ. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. And now, feast your ears. This is the song you need to hear. Most blokes going to be playing at 10. These go to 11. Welcome back. I am Sandy Max. This is What's on Tap, a new show here at WTMJ, spotlighting culture and creativity here in Wisconsin and around the world. And I got a chance to go to England and visit Liverpool, the hometown of the Beatles, last month with a great group of WTMJ fans. This is all before we realized that there was going to be a brand new, yes, you heard right, a brand new Beatles song and supposedly the last song ever. It came out just a few weeks ago called Now and Then. While Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr are still touring, John Lennon passed away in 1980 and George Harrison passed away about 20 years ago due to cancer. So how do you get a brand new Beatles song? The 21st century. Back in the 90s, the Beatles used technology then to create a song called Real Love and also Free as a Bird. But there was one more demo that Yoko Ono had passed along to what I like to call the Threedles, <laughs> Paul, Ringo, and George, who were alive at the time. It was a 1979 demo that Yoko Ono had of John Lennon, just him at a piano, singing the song Now and Then. What did they do with that audio? Here's Paul McCartney. George and Ringo came down to my studio. Nice day. Fabulous day, we listen to the track. There's John in his apartment in New York City, banging away at his piano, doing a little demo. Is it something we shouldn't do? Every time I thought like that, I thought, wait a minute, let's say I had a chance to ask John, hey John, would you like us to finish this last song of yours? I'm telling you, I know the answer would have been, yeah. He would have loved that. I suppose Paul McCartney would know best, right? He'd certainly know better than I would. But think about Get Back, the Beatles documentary that came out a couple years ago. Peter Jackson, that Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings. So he's a guy who knows special effects, right? Peter Jackson was able to come up with the 21st century technology that separated John Lennon's vocal from that piano sound, which was what they couldn't do before. And now, because of that technology, instead of... Because the first time Paul McCartney said AI 
artificial intelligence, I automatically went auto-tune and weird, and it was just going to be like a robot John Lennon voice. It isn't. It is a very pure sounding voice. This is Paul McCartney talking about that process. They said, this is the sound of John's voice. A few seconds later, or however long it took, and there it was, John's voice, crystal clear. I know it's true. It's all because of you. And if I make it through, it's all because... You kind of get chills listening to John Lennon's voice like that. This is the final product, John Lennon's voice. George Harrison, his slide guitar and some other guitar work from a 1990s session, and Paul McCartney on piano and backing vocals, and Ringo on the drums. The Beatles' new and last ever song, Now and Then, on WTMJ. One, two...
just heard the newest and last ever song by the Beatles on What's on Tap on WTMJ, made possible by 21st century technology created by Peter Jackson of Lord of the Rings fame. And he directed that very cool documentary about the Beatles a couple of years ago called Get Back. So able to isolate those John Lennon vocals from an old 1979 demo tape. Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr put their uh, minds to it and added some George Harrison retro guitar work from the 1990s. And then Paul on piano and vocals and Ringo on drums. And if classic Beatles is more your speed, the Red Album and the Blue Album were just reissued in deluxe versions. And if you love collecting vinyl... Colored vinyl, red vinyl for the red album, and blue vinyl for the blue album. I'm a sucker for colored vinyl. I'm Sandy Max. Listen to What's on Tap weeknights at 6. Catch up on previous episodes at WTMJ.com or on the WTMJ YouTube channel or wherever you like to get your podcasts.